Salt Lake City, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and in truth. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Uh, Father God, we love you and seek you and need you. We're so grateful you loved us so much. You gave us your only human son to uh, do what he did completely on our behalf. We pray for our volunteers and staff, our guests uh, who are here in the studio and, and people who are watching in the archives and then at home. And we just seek for truth and, 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 uh, and need you to discover it and pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. want to open up tonight with a quick and open rundown of things this ministry is really interested in. For starters, there are three ministries that we personally love uh, outside of this one, and I want to promote them to you. We, you've heard me address them before. Uh, first one is uh, exmormonfiles.org. Org. That's Bishop Earl. He's a former LDS bishop, and uh, the guy has amassed a lot of interviews uh, with people. And the thing I love about Bishop Earl's program is that it's about people who have come to know the Lord who have left Mormonism. They've left Mormonism. They've come to know the Lord. Let me say it again. They've left Mormonism. They've come to know the Lord. I love that about that uh, uh, ministry because it's not just bashing on the Mormons. Mormons are low-hanging fruit, you know. I did seven years of it, I know, and it's fun. And I just, someone just sent me a, a clip of uh, a puppet that I got behind the desk. I did the testimony puppet. I mean, this stuff is funny as heck. New name Noah. He's making a whole career out of having the cult TV thing. And it, it's easy stuff. But Bishop Earl's gig is about talking to people who have left into a relationship with Christ, and I love that. And so uh, check them out, exmormonfiles.org. Uh, the next one is uh, Talking to Mormons. And uh, Talking to Mormons is near and dear to my heart because the people behind it, they, uh, they're around here quite a bit, and uh, they, do, um, they do a lot. Their site is blossoming. They do animated stuff. They have some other stuff with General Conference. And it's about talking to Mormons in a reasonable, respectful, but direct, truthful way. And uh, just really love it. We have a clip to show you from Talking to Mormons. Take a look at this. I want to introduce you to our guest, Elder Smith. He's serving a full-time mission with the LDS Church. Thank you, Sean. It's a pleasure to be here. Hey, take a second and tell the audience why, as missionaries, you are willing to participate in these Talking to Mormons episodes. Sure. My companion Elder Young and I saw the value of having an open religious dialogue with our Christian friend Chris about the teachings and doctrines of Mormonism and Christianity. Aren't you uh, opening yourselves up to challenges that might be brought about by this Christian believer? Perhaps, but we have an agreement with Chris that we would be willing to talk about any gospel topic related to church history, past and present teachings of our church leaders, and Mormon scriptures and compare them with what the Bible says. Aren't you worried that these conversations will get heated and combative? Actually, the viewers will find that these respectful and open conversations between Christians and Mormons are quite possible. It will be a great source for anyone wanting to better understand Mormonism and Christianity. Huh, it sounds intriguing. I want to encourage everyone to check them out on their YouTube channel in the description below. And uh, there's more descriptions below of all the ministries. Anything else? Okay. Uh, now, why are we promoting these two? These uh, guys uh, were former LDS. They understand Mormons. And uh, that's important. Uh, there are people who haven't been, and I know they, 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 they do a good job on their stuff. But you have to have been to really kind of get the whole gig, and so we love that. And that brings us to the third ministry. Of course, this is Sarah. Uh, what happened, Sarah and Joe, Sarah has been a Christian her whole life, and she's a sharp gal, she's a writer, and uh, she and her husband left the church service a while ago, and as they were driving, they said, don't you wish that there was some kind of site that you could put together where people could sort of like rate churches? And then we had a show a few weeks ago where I said, I had this idea of checking my church and where it would be, you know, where you would go in and investigate churches and rate them and find out all the underbelly stuff and, and all the true stuff and make it 
fair, but make sure people know what they're getting from certain churches. So she saw that show and I said, I welcome anyone to do it. Well, she already had the idea with her, her husband, Joe. She heard that. She said, I'm doing it. So, I mean, she's beautiful, but she's a bulldog. And she is going after this thing. She's already done, I think, three to six churches, three to five churches. And she's like sending these pastors of these big churches these emails about uh, their finances, how much they get paid, and all kinds of stuff. And they are, I mean, uh, they are really scared. And it's awesome. Checkmychurch.org. Keep watching these ministries as they grow uh, because they're going to grow and they're going to continue to contribute to these topics that people are so interested in. So uh, uh, I also want to remind you that we have a number of books that are available to you online. There are ebooks. There's four ebooks that are free for you. And um, the Christian Anarchist Crookbook, Volume 1, is there. You should really download that thing and read it. It's excellent. Uh, Eternal Punishment, question mark. Eternal, and it's an it's a exegetical study in Scripture on hell and whether it's eternal or not. It's not the end of the world, which is a compilation of all sorts of Scripture that talks about whether uh, we are headed toward the end of the world or if there was an end of an age a long time ago that's already occurred. And finally, the book Knife to a Gunfight. We have the uh, paperback copy of that here too. And Knife to a Gunfight is available in audiobook. Seth sat me down with a whip one time and he made me lose my voice to where I was barely able to read to get this thing done on audio. And you can just listen to it uh, if that's how you do it. And there's uh, also, you know, all of these are available through PDF version or EPUB versions, which you can open in your ebook readers like a Mac or a Calibre, I think, Mac PC. Uh, so we have those online. Then we also have, uh, of course, I've shown you this one, Knife to a Gunfight, uh, which is one of my favorite books on uh, the Bible. We have a little pamphlet that we can uh, send you in a PDF. It's called uh, The End of Material Religion. This lays out why material religion is done for. And then we have a little short book, and uh, it's If My Kingdom of This World and My Servants Would Fight. And the byline to that is A Believer's Refusal to Join Popular Christian culture and it slams the heck out of the evangelicals and uh and uh, all the political stuff that they tie into the faith and so and then finally we have two other books born again mormon this was the book that sort of started it all and if you're interested in mormonism uh, or if you've been lds or rlds this is a very nice kind book and then we have our little encyclopedia and uh that's where Mormonism meets uh, biblical Christianity face to face. And there's like 52 topics, 70 topics in here that you can look up and see what the LDS teach versus what the Christians teach. If you want this one, we, unless you come to campus, people who come to campus, we give them these books free. But if you want this one, we would prefer that you uh, order it from us because it uh, costs us a lot to produce and also costs us a lot to mail. If you're poor, Fine, we'll send it to you. It's not to make money. It's just that you'll help our costs if you aren't poor and you want the hardback book of A to Z. So in addition, you got all that. We also have our campus gatherings every Sunday. We do a milk, we do a meat, and in those we teach through the Bible. We've gone through most of the lengthy books and we only have really the shorter epistles left except for the Gospel of Luke. And we'll get through that in the next few years, all of those in the next few years. Verse by verse, archived. You can join us live streaming, make it your home church, or just use it to study. And then we have some musicians that are part of the ministry. Steve Utley, he plays, uh, he opens up every Christian Anarchy uh, Today show. And we have a little sample of Steve's music. Take a listen to this heavy stuff.
Can I stop? It's excellent. Love it. It's, uh, I have a good friend named Brandon, and he downloads this stuff. He loves it, too. Such good workout music. That's Steve Utley. Spotify, iTunes, Bandcamp, Utley, U-T-L-E-Y. And then we also uh, commissioned my daughter years ago, Mallory. She graduated from uh, in music. From, she got a degree in music back east. And uh, we said, we want you to take scriptures. And we just want you to take the scripture and put them to music because it will help people. There'll be modern day Psalms and they'll help people get the word in their head. She has five CDs that are out there. And, uh, you know, this music isn't really popular with the Christian crowd who love the smarmy, fugly, emotive Christian. Jesus is my girlfriend. Oh, how he loves music. Um, this is the word of God set to music. Now imagine trying to put a scripture to music. It's not easy. And so, and so it's difficult, but we have a sample of one of the songs. I think there's, uh, I don't know, maybe 50 or 60 now that are available. And before we show you the sample, they're available on every single thing you can imagine. iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Pandora, Deezer, Napster, Verve Live, Tidal. And that's just a few of them. Mallory McCraney. Mallory McCraney. And here is a sample of Psalm uh, 18, 1 through 3. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my So uh, five CDs all available, Mallory McCraney, Steve Utley, and the heavier music, which is jamming. And finally, we have, uh, in addition to 400 hours of our own content on Mormonism, that's HOTM 1.0. You can see all that on the website. We also have Christianarchy today. There's over 50 uh, short shows that Steve and I do every week aimed at college campuses. And presently, we're advertising on two campuses in the U.S. And... Uh, weekly to let them know about these shows to help create an uprising among the college kids. I'm going to talk about the uprising in just a second. And then finally, I have undertaken a Herculean project that uh, we're engaged in. It's called the TVAR, which is a working acronym for another New Testament, if you want to call it that, which we call the Apostolic Record. And folks, friends, Supporters, we need you behind this production in prayer. Uh, we need you to um, review it if you want and give us notes. And if you're in a position, you can help us financially to keep this going. It's coming together really well. We're halfway through the book of Luke. It's a completely different thing than the book of Mark was, but it's tedious. It is the most difficult thing I have ever done in my life, ever. I paddled the Catalina from Long Beach on surfboards with my brother uh, one time, 13 hours across the ocean. That was nothing compared to doing this thing. And uh, so served a Mormon mission and, and uh, uh, swam in college, married 34 years and raised three girls and all that stuff. Not as brutal as doing this. I'm not kidding you. I thought it was going to be something a little less taxing, but it's not. And, but we're going to do it right, and uh, even though it's challenging and it's taxing, uh, I think you will be proud to be a part of it. And I push it, and I'm selling it ahead of time because it's worth it. 
because it's going to help people read that book uh, called the New Testament that we call the New Testament. And it's going to ultimately help them understand the context and what parts are really pertinent to us and what parts are not. And so um, we'll continue to bring that up, but at least pray for us, if you would, that this translation that we're working through will be able to survive and get it out there. We're going to provide it electronically. You move your mouse over a footnote. The footnote comes up for you. It's going to be really something else. And then we're also going to publish it in materially. So um, nearly um, a year ago, I had a production company and out of Australia. They're the production company that do uh, Mythbusters. They started, they do Mythbusters. They're a famous production company out of Australia. And they contacted me out of the blue. And I guess they had seen some of the videos and they wanted to do a uh, interview screen test with me so that if networks around the world are looking for a reality uh, host, they could come and look at me and see if I would fit the bill. Well, in the interview, they said, um, tell us, what do you do? What are your interests? Do you ride motorbikes? That's how they put it. And uh, are you into cooking or fishing or restaurants? Do you good at... Uh, making fixing engines and and all this stuff and uh, in the screen test I said I cannot do anything I have no other interests than God the Bible Christianity and other people I am not interested in doing anything else and uh, that's it that's where my focus is and uh, I watch movies to pass the time until I can get back at that Bible to understand God. And that's how I'm made. I didn't choose it. That's how I'm made. And uh, how God and the Bible and Christianity interact with each other and what's happening in our culture with God, the Bible, and Christianity. And uh, I do art to break up the monotony but because you just, you just can't focus long enough. But uh, most people with similar interests um, they, they uh, have to have a part-time job or they do it full-time as a pastor and get paid to do it and are able to do the same thing. But when you do that, you sometimes have to sell off. I have been blessed. I have been so fortunately blessed that I can be in a ministry like this and I can study and then I can teach the findings I discover without fear of repercussion without someone stepping in and saying, you're going to lose your position as pastor. It has been the greatest blessing to write books that aren't edited by, uh, bure uh, by boards and telling me what you can and can't say. So, and it's a blessing because I deeply, deeply care about the condition of Christianity relative to people, relative to God, relative to the Bible. I care very, very much about it. I don't take it lightly because I think it's so important. And having this unadulterated, sort of uncompromising worldview and an unhindered access to the word without religious tradition, I've gotten rid of most of that. And watching what the faith has become around the world, I'm convinced that at an expedited pace, um, Christianity, Christianity as it is known, uh, is dying a certain death. I think it is dying. Um, now, not the faith once received by the saints, uh, not Jesus Christ and his work for the world, and not the spirit touching individual hearts and Christians being on earth, but Christianity in terms of the corporate look that it has in the world, especially in the United States, and other uh, countries like Australia and England and, and uh, places like that, Christianity is in, headed for the, the trash. And I wanna explain why uh, we need to do something right now and um, to keep the faith alive in communities around the world, especially alive with our youth, our children, our teens, our young adults, and then also for the, uh, the, the adults and, and older folk. This is a preemptive strike against what men have done to this faith, uh, bringing it to its knees over the past couple thousand years. So 
I'm going to give you three categories which I think change has to occur now as soon as possible. I think it's happening, and I read about it happening online and stuff, but it, it needs to happen more as we grow. Okay. These things won't be a surprise to you, but there has to be a change in doctrine. There has to be a change in doctrine. And that means the taking the Bible, reading it, and saying it all applies to us. It happens. It's all talking to us today. That has to change. We've got to grow up and stop being such idiots. Okay? It was not written to us. It's a history of what was written to them and what happened then. So God, through Jesus, has had complete victory over all things. That's a doctrinal shift. Uh, we're not still losing out to Satan and uh, men or self-will. His victories are in no way failures at achieving what God has desires. Um, there are no longer souls being lost to the dark side. And Jesus is a general who's losing his saints and they're being put in hell forever. And Satan is laughing because he's had the victory. That is such anachronistic thinking when you read the Bible and its timeline. When you continue to live in that, it's just detrimental to the whole picture. And we're living in the effects of having perpetrated that over all these years. His victory was complete at the birth, life, death, resurrection, and return of his son to his own, wrapping up that former age. Done. Over. Gone. And this brings us to the second point that has to be admitted. We're not waiting for a second coming. We need to, to God, I wish we could stop having the billboards with these idiots saying, it's coming. And are you ready? And, you know, uh, repent. The, it's coming now. It is just such a waste of time and mind. And it's an embarrassment in light of what the scripture actually teaches. Get it out of your heads. He in that Bible came to his own as he promised. He returned as promised to them. We aren't waiting for him to come and destroy this world and all the heavens and everything melt up and discarded. We aren't waiting for an atomic bomb. There isn't going to be people left behind. They've been talking about it for 2,000 years. They have never understood what it plainly says there because they've wanted to believe something different. Are there cycles of humanity that the Bible describes as happening to them that could be happening today with us? Sure. Yeah, are we destroying ourselves in part? Sure. Is sin like rotting fruit on this earth? Absolutely could be, you know. But his coming is not going to be tied to any of that, is the point. So, uh, if or since Jesus has come, then we know, based on the Bible and Revelation, that hell has been cast into the lake of fire, Satan is done with, cast into the lake of fire, and that's the third doctrinal change. All of it was cast into the lake of fire at his coming. That has to be, if he came, that happened. So does darkness remain and evil and all that Satan embodied? Of course it does. And, and does sin occur? It does because people, they conjure that up. James himself says people sin themselves. He never even mentioned Satan. He says they're tempted, drawn away, and then sin is conceived and it brings death. has nothing to do with this imp called Satan that once was relative to the law, the accuser of the brethren. So, done. Then, since Christ has had the victory and Satan, I'm not saying evil doesn't still there and darkness isn't, but Satan and hell are over, then what's the de destination of all people? It's clear. Revelation tells us the destination of all people. It's heaven. It's a heavenly destination. Now, I'm not pulling this out of a hat. Revelation chapter 20 describes what the new age will look like once Jesus has returned to his own and had the victory. And it describes that there will be this heavenly thing. Now, the heavenly thing is a mindset, really. I don't, I don't know that it's actual literal kingdom with walls, but it, it, Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. It's within you. So it's a mindset. And if you have Christ, you have that mindset to be part of the heavenly kingdom within the new Jerusalem, which is in heaven. 
where God and Christ dwell. You're in that kingdom here and there. Now, I don't know if it's actual literal, but it's a place. It's a, it's, it's a mindset that you can be part of here and there. Those who are not part of that mindset are outside the gates. They're outside the city walls. It's clear. It says it right there. And they're not allowed in. And if they are abominable and all these other things, Revelation says. So it's a heavenly destination, but it doesn't mean that they will all be with God. But the construct of you're going to hell and burning forever because God is going to rejoice in that is just ridiculous. When will we as Christians start preaching the good news, the great news, in fact, that all of this stuff has been taken care of? So that's all biblical, folks, and it's embraced by many Christians around the world, but not evangelicals, not futurists, not the people who want Jesus to come back and want to be pro-Israel and want to keep all these political machinations alive and intersecting with the Christian community. All right. As I said before, I don't think Christians should continue to use the Bible to war with each other. I hope we can get to a place that time is now for the denominations to drop the, the swords, let the Benetarians and the Trinitarians and the Unitarians and the Baptists and the Anabaptists and the Calvinists and the Arminius. Get along, damn it. Just get the flock along. I mean, come on. You use this Bible as a sword to kill each other, to kill everybody else in your wake. You're using it as a, as a, a manual of laws. The Bible has to be seen for what it is and that it's a map for individuals to read and let it verify what the Spirit has been teaching and telling them. And when they have some harebrained idea, they check that against the Word of God and see what it has to say, and it will give them the correct uh, path. We don't have to fight over differences because the differences are never going to go away. And it was never meant to be that way. So we also have to realize that what we call the New Testament is not the New Testament that God called the New Testament the time in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, when he will write his laws on our hearts and on our minds. Not in a book. He, wrote, he writes his laws in the New Testament. The New Testament is when he writes his laws on our hearts and on our minds. The individual who God has written his laws upon their heart and mind are Christians, our brothers and sisters, our sons and daughters, no matter where they go to church, no matter what their peculiar beliefs might be, if God has written his laws, and what are his laws? His laws are the two, love God, love each other. When he writes that on your heart, that is a Christian. When someone is loving selflessly, as the Bible describes, that is a Christian. We don't have to worry about doctrinal fights. When Christians can start doing that, we're going to have a victory over the present state where Christians don't. All we do is just attack people, right? So this means that doctrinal Christians need to see the faith subjectively. And I know this is just such a big argument. It's something I repeat all the time. But uh, listen, the faith is subjective no matter what you want, want to think anyway. You, every individual pastors in your congregations are hearing your sermon and they're deciding what they're going to believe and what they're going to do and not. There is no objective truth that you are pushing out there that everybody in your congregation is saying, I buy that, except for some general ones like Jesus died for the sins of the world. Even that can be debated, not by me. Uh, all those things we think are just universally accepted. They still are debated by individuals. The faith is subjectively understood. God's truth is completely objective. Don't get me wrong. But the faith is subjectively lived and understood. When Christians get that, we allow someone to say, I believe in abinity. I believe in a trinity. I believe in modalism. I believe in, uh, the, I believe in eternal punishment. I believe hell's a burning fire. I don't care. It's okay. Be my brother. That's the, that's the attitude when the subjective approach comes into play. When it's an objective approach, no, you must believe this. You run into all the problems. So the sooner Christian churches and pastors can let people believe and say, even teach what they think, we will dumb down the rhetoric 
We will upload the love and we'll be better off. If we don't do it, we're going to implode. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just making the prophecy. It's coming. And we did a show about a year ago where we showed all the social reasons why these churches are going to implode. You know, the diseases and the communicable diseases and, and the sh public shootings and all of that. And then the money it takes. People, everybody's uh, asking for money now. Everybody for every cause under the sun. And some of them are really damn good. I mean, you're going to give a hundred bucks a month to some church where the pastor sits there and drives up in his Range Rover, or you're going to give it to St. Jude's Hospital children who don't charge parents a thing for their children to be uh, helped at that hospital. You tell me who's going to survive as this world goes on and on. It's not going to be the fat cat churches. I can guarantee you that. So it's time to wake up. All right. So. That means there's some applicable. This is category two changes that need to occur. And we have to get rid of the authority from the pulpit. Uh, no more priestly interventions. No more uh, man inserting himself between. Uh, I just read last week where there's a local church here that says the board here are the final authority on scriptural interpretation. Phenopoly to that. Wake up. You've got no authority, you have wrong ideas, and you don't have any right to sit up on a stand and look out over people and decide what they can think and believe and, and do in their life. It's between them and God. So no external rules and laws and rites and rituals. Understanding this important point will allow the people in the congregations to love others in this world. That's what it will do. It will permit them to do that. So those are the main doctrinal and some practical changes that go. There's got to be changes in doing church. Um, no more demands for conformity of any sort. When did, that, when did that happen? You know, no judgment of other people. Not citing biblical references to a world that doesn't care what you, those are saying humbly, lovingly, place, getting people to place their faith in God in these tumultuous times. And that means Christians will truly live and act by the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit and nothing more. Teach people to let God work things out. Be a church that helps people pay their bills. I know a guy, he was having trouble paying his bills, and he went to the church, and the church said, okay, we need to sit you down. And they gave him a stack of papers to fill out. And in the papers, they asked for his recent job history and they asked him his educational level. And he flips it over on the back and says, quote, have you ever looked at porn? <laughs> All right. You're, you're, you're trying to get money to pay your rent. And the church asks a man if he's ever looked at porn. <laughs> what do you do? You either lie or you tell the truth, right? You tell the truth. What do they do with that? What does that female secretary do who's perusing all the paperwork? Oh, brother Jim, <laughs> he's looked at porn. The second question is, are you currently looking at porn? Um, this decides whether you get help or not. Isn't that funny? Isn't that, isn't that what Jesus said to the man with the withered hand? Uh, before I heal you, do you look at porn? <laughs> because I don't want you to extend this hand to heal and use it for improper purposes. <laughs> it's unbelievable what these people are doing with God and the faith. Where that church has got to help people, not investigate their sin life. We all have a sin life, including the pastors who have looked at porn and probably still are. So, you know, let's get over this stuff and let's preach Jesus as the Savior to all these problems, as the one we look to with hope, right? And get away from this other stuff called church play, playing. And this leads us to the um, last application. And uh, in, in addition to eliminating all religious authority, um, which was never meant to be because God is writing his laws on the hearts and minds. If they're there, there's no religious authority that can exist. 
Do you get that? Does that make sense to you? That in the new uh, age, God will write on the law, his laws on the hearts and minds. That automatically means no one has a right to step in between you and God, right? So all pastors and priests and reverends need to step down from whatever place they've put themselves and just be encouragers and teachers of the word, you know, not interpreters and not applicators of the word to people's lives. Just teach it and let people decide. There has to be a reduction in the material footprint of religion, deconstruction, total downsizing, less of everything, no collections, none, no tithes, no building uh, drives. If people want to give, let them give. If they don't, love them. And, uh, and, and, and let everybody just be who they're going to be. No big budgets. Forget the mega churches. Let those freaking things either burn or be used as a social center for the homeless. I mean, uh, but you, the mega churches can't get away from the materialism and the money because that's how they survive. So that's going to be tough. The body of Christ is made up of individual believers, not buildings. Let it go. Then in the reduction of this footprint, there hopefully will be a death to American evangelicalism. I know that sounds radical, but I hope it dies a miserable death. No more politics in Jesus' name, please. No more anything in Jesus' name except faith and love. If it's not, it's just manipulation. Politics are individual and they are, it's hard for some people to understand this, but they're as individual as the color of a car that you choose. That's what people do in this world. Uh, his kingdom is not of this world. It's not of this world. And that means that a church should rid itself of all the worldly trappings uh, that cost the people money to uh, support. I don't believe in the gospel of social salvation, and I know that's radical. I don't believe that Christians and Christian churches must feed the poor. I do not believe that. I don't believe that Christian churches are supposed to rage against social evils. I don't think that we, uh, I don't think the attempt of Bonhoeffer to kill Hitler was appropriate for a Christian. He's hailed as, he's lifted up as this hero. I don't think that was Christian, uh, Christianity at all. I think that was a man doing something that he thought was uh, uh, correct. I won't judge him, but I don't think that's Christianity. I don't think Jesus would have taught that in the least. Can individuals, uh, Christians are not engage in politics and all that? Of course they can. Can someone who's a Christian who has a really strong idea against something in social evil do, uh, get involved? Of course, sure, that's the individual right. But, but as when the churches get involved in it, it takes the focus on Jesus and it just removes it. And then it makes everybody who differs with us politically hate us, hate us. They should be liking us, at least liking our attitude toward them and this world and what we will do on our own toward helping it. So hopefully Christians will choose to stop engaging in warfare over the creation, over the flood, over the ark, over, uh, over uh, um, 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 over, um, what is it called? Evolution. <laughs> I haven't evolved much. <laughs> I, just, I just went back to my ape days. Uh, yeah, and you know, hopefully we'll take all the excess funds and not build any more church amusement parks, you know, with arcs out there that we charge $52 for entrance in to see stuffed animals and crap like that, you know, give to St. Jude's. Do something radical, you know, do something that's going to be beneficial rather than building your own frickin' pocketbook. Um, and who cares if a gay was born gay? And who cares if people have gotten divorced? Or who cares if people have remained single? Or if women have had abortions? and men have looked at porn, uh, you know, that's why Jesus came. That is why he came. And you can't set up a system and invite people in to receive the good news of why he came and then flip it on them and then say, now you need to be perfect in your flesh. And anybody who associates with us needs to be perfect in their flesh, right? Our government's gonna fail us. The one hope is Jesus. That is the hope for all of us. 
believer and not. And he is the only hope for the world. He's not a religion. He's not a church. He's not a Democrat. He's not a Republican. He, he did not feed the poor every day of his ministry. He did not. He brought the bread of life. That is what churches do. Individual Christians feed the poor, help people in need. Yes, but the churches feed the bread of life to the world. He gave his all for the world and he reconciled it. And his command was love. Love each other. Love your enemies. Your enemies. Love them. You know, do good to those who despitefully use you. Do good to those who despitefully use you. That's not the Christian ethic anymore. The Christian ethic is to fight those who despitefully use us. The love is described as kind and gentle and forgiving and peaceable and long-suffering. It says this love bears all things. It hopes all things. It believes all things. It endures all things. People say, you don't think uh, hell exists? I said, I know it doesn't according to scripture. Well, what do you, what do you, what do you want? I, I, I believe all things. I believe God will save everybody. I bear all things. I, I hope all things. I endure all things. That's the definition of this love. I've personally failed so badly over the course of my life in loving right that I think it's really important in my life, at least, to love everybody, family, friends, neighbors, but especially the people I differ with, who I have a different opinion of. And um, join me in this very unoriginal proposal. This is not original, what I'm saying. This is not some new revelation or revolution. Jesus taught it years ago. And when he brought it, it radicalized the whole world, especially for those who got it. But we had that one segment who took it over and they institutionalized it and turned it into another gathering of Sadducees and Pharisees. Let's change the course of this beautiful ship called Christianity before it's too late, before it lands on the rocky shoals of reason. And where our kids are just going to say, what you teach me just does not make sense. I can't understand a God who would create most people, who would create them and, and allow them to live in different circumstances. And then when they die, put them in hell forever. We've got to change. And it's all in the Bible, realistically in the Bible, there for the taking for anyone who wants to see. But it's going to take his spirit working in us and our willingness to hear him and come to him in love, in total love. I think we have uh, Michael online one. Got three calls. Michael, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, hi. Uh, I just got a question about baptism. Um, is, as a Christian, do you have to get baptized according to the Bible? It depends on... The, the, the person reading the Bible, Michael, uh, I would okay. say absolutely not in context of everything considered, absolutely not. Okay, okay, because I was always told growing up they had to get baptized as a Christian, so I was just wondering about that. So what's the importance of baptism? Well, uh, the this, this scripture teaches you that it's an outward expression of an inward faith. So it's similar to what circumcision was to uh, the nation of Israel. They cut the ends of their man units off. It was an outward expression of an inward faith in trusting God. So it didn't make them a Jew. They were already a Jew when they, when they did the circumcision. And so us too, we're already Christians. The baptism doesn't do anything for our salvation. We already believe and have been saved. We just outwardly manifest our faith in Christ by doing it. So I think it's a good thing. I think it's a beautiful thing, but it certainly isn't mandatory for a Christian. All right. All right. Thank you very much, sir. And you have a great night. You too, brother. God bless. Let's go to line two. We've got Mike from Roy. Hello? You need to turn your uh, computer down, Mike. Okay. You're on the air, Mike. Thank you. It takes a while for something. But it's, it's, Mike, you're talking to Sean. You're on the air. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. You know, Sean, I've got a 
pretty similar past as you do. You were a transvestite too? Probably. I'm joking, Mike. All right. Um, I've prayed twice in my life in the last five years. Huh. One was um, with you to try to get Christ in my life. And it was on the archives. And the other was um, today, to try to, you know, quit smoking. But um, I appreciate you, and I appreciate your ministry, and I'm, I'm glad to have um, watched all your archives many times. But... Um, I just don't know how to get over this. Um, the 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 Mormonism, the guilt, the Mormonism guilt. Are you able to to do any reading at all in the Scripture, Mike? No, I don't. I have a, a quad, the old okay. quad from my that I just haven't dared throw away there's a baptist church up the road that i've i've thought about going in and picking up a bible but no i haven't done much well you know brother all all i can do is encourage you and, and encourage you and i'm going to do something i usually don't do but encourage you in the name of the lord and i'm just gonna i'm gonna like speak for him paraphrase and i pray god will forgive me where i'm wrong but I just want you to know that he loves you as you are. Smoking, not reading the Bible, praying twice in the past five years. He loves you as you are. He already took care of your failures, Mike. They were taken care of by his son 2,000 years ago. So you're not under any kind of obligation or guilt to fix things that you have failed in yesterday or 10 years ago. He loves you. He saved you. It's done. Now, what, now it's just incumbent on you to walk in faith and trust that. That's what it means to walk by faith. Even though you don't have a, a sure knowledge of this, you're going to trust that when he says he paid for your sins, that he did it. And that means all of them, past, present, and future. So don't beat yourself up so badly. Don't, don't try to perfect yourself through your own ways. Look to him and live. Sean, um, my faith is but I, it's but a mustard seed. It's so small. It is, it is such a, a, a tiny fleck of faith. You know, and I know that's all the Bible asks for. That's right. But it, it's so hard. I think you do well by hearing more of the Word somehow, Mike. Finding a church that teaches the Bible or trying to read it yourself because, you know, it talks about faith coming by hearing the word. And the reason it works that way is because when you read the word, you're reading God say, don't, uh, God says, forgive someone who slaps your face, okay? And you say, I'm going to choose to believe that and put my faith in it and forgive people who have slapped my face or I'm not. And so what you, by reading it, it gives you these propositions that God has given you. And you, every day you read it, you say to yourself, I'm going to trust that that's true or I'm not. And by doing that, your faith grows. I was a faithless heathen, dude. I promise you. I had no faith. In fact, I mocked faith. And, but it's through access to what God says and do you trust it that your faith will grow. And so I really do admonish you to try to consider uh, hearing the word. And, you know, you, we have campus every Sunday. We teach the word. All you got to do is sit on your couch, open a beer, put your, roll your pajamas up, whatever that means, and uh, tune in and just listen to the word and grow with us. I've, I've, I've listened to a lot of your um, um, your uh, archived things um i i i want to believe but the 
you know as well as I do, I've been burned. I've been burned by the church. Yeah. And and I just, it's so hard to, to move from there. It is. It is, Mike, and you're not alone, and that's the fallout of that religion. They scorched our hearts, and they made us bitter. And, and I'm so sorry. You're not alone in this. That's what makes it so heinous. Where are you in love? How, do you, how are you with love and loving others? I love everyone. Praise God. Unconditionally, I love everyone. Well, then you understand the law. You understand it, and that's the key right there. Don't worry so much about faith. If you're loving everybody, you sound like a really humble, kind man, and uh, you sound like the guy that Jesus described who was a publican in the temple, and he couldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. He said, I'm not even worthy to look up. And Jesus said, he's more justified than the Pharisee that did all these works and walked in all this religion. Be easier on yourself. You keep loving, Mike. We're going to... We're going to someday, you know, maybe you can come down here. We can meet you. There's a great group here. They meet on Thursday nights. You know, you're not far away and we can all talk and meet. So consider that, my brother. You won't get burned here. You might you might get fed bad food and and things, but you won't get burned. (laughs) Thank you, Sean. Love you, brother. You're my brother. I believe that. I believe that for a long time. And uh, I'll do it again. Thanks, brother. Love you. Love you, too. Okay, bye. We're going to Todd in Lincoln, California, line one. Todd, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, uh, Sean, thanks for taking my call, man. You've really been enjoying your teachings. I just had a question for you with regard to uh, what you're teaching about. I don't know, is it eschatology or is it end time stuff? It's, I, you were talking earlier about how everyone is, uh, I mean, the devil and all that is in the lake of fire and all that's a done deal. What, what are you saying about the rest of this? That we're, that, are you trying to say that there's not a hell to be yeah. had now and we're just all kind of just... I, mean, I, I didn't understand what you're teaching out of that. My question is probably not stated very clearly. Are you following me at all? I am following you, uh, Todd. And, you know, it's really dicey because people freak out about this. But the scripture's clear. In eschatology, when Jesus said he would come back within a generation, and he said there'll be some standing here who will see the Son of Man come in the glory, and all these other passages, he did what he said. And Scripture then tells us that when he does that, that Satan and and hell and all of that stuff is going to be done away with. It will be over. So we enter into a new period of time. We enter into an age where it's an age of victory. And now it's just, the work has been done. And so, if you're a son and you're a daughter of Christ, you walk in that faith and you have a relationship with him and you're part of his kingdom here and there. If you're not, you have your life here. Afterward, it won't be in his kingdom. You won't be a son and daughter. Uh, You won't have access to God and the son who live in the new Jerusalem. I don't know what it will mean, but the help concept is done eschatologically if you look at the scripture. So it's radical. People don't like to believe it. They want to pick on a devil. They want to point the devil out for all the temptations and fighting him and resisting him. But in the end, the scripture suggests something otherwise. Okay, so it almost sounds to me like, and, and again, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, it sounds to me like you're describing hell, because as I see it, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, hell is a relational separation from God. I would agree okay. with that. Okay. So if those people are relationally separated from God, then, well, then that is hell. And, and maybe yet what you're saying is it's not necessarily described as fire and brimstone. Is that, is that right? Yeah, you know, I think we, the way you're saying that holds water. It's just that the covered place that is dark and separate prison is the thing I'm talking about. Now, whether heaven uh, contains those same separational uh, ideas for those who didn't believe... I am all for that being a possibility. You know, I, we don't know. All I am saying is sticking to the point, hell and Satan were done away with at his return. That's the only point I'm making. What it translates that, to... Go ahead. Okay, that, I guess that's the part where you say hell and Satan are, are done away with, and, and 
forgive me, I'm not trying to be argumentative. No. I'm genuinely asking. If, if you're saying that, it almost sounds to me like you're kind of minimizing the fact that, well, for instance, like, I, I, love, I love your ministry, and, and we're preaching the gospel to our Mormon uh, friends and family. To what end? Because if they aren't going to heaven, then they're going to hell. But it sounds like you're trying to say something like it's, well, it's not as bad as we're safe. And maybe you're right to say that. It's not as bad as like we're safe and as the demons are. But if they go to this place that is relationally separated from God, then it seems to me that whole gnashing and wailing of teeth, they'll be the ones wailing because the veil of, you know, the reality of their sin will be made more known clearly to them, in which case it, it would, that's kind of where the eternal torment is. So it, it, I mean, it's well, oh, hell. I, I can agree with you conceptually, and I think that you may be right. However, I think that the, the gates of the New Jerusalem on northeast, south, and west are open day and night, it says. Okay? So to me, okay. that says there's access. So I, I believe that when Jesus, when, when Jesus said every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, I believe that will happen. The benefit of teaching the gospel to your LDS friends here and now is people can have a relationship with God through Christ now and can be his sons and daughters afterward. I'm not sure those who enter the New Jerusalem after having been out of it because they didn't receive him here will have that same opportunity. So... I'm not minimizing it, but I don't, I think freedom is important. And I think people who are outside the gates are out there because they want to be. I don't think they're going to be in weeping and wailing and, and saying, oh, I wish I could get in. I think they're saying I'm happy to be far away. I really do. Oh, you don't, you don't think the veil will be made, will be taken away such that they'll have a greater re sense of reality as to the sin against, that's the sin against God. You don't, you don't think that's part of that equation, huh? I don't. I think that, that that ideology was applicable to the day and age before his coming. I think that that we are all responsible for what we want in this life. God is calling to all of us constantly. And if we reject it and don't want it, we don't want it. You know, and, and, and I just I just personally believe that freedom and liberty of every individual is is vital to God and he wants everyone to be uh, receive him, but some people will not. I base that off the fact that Satan, who was a created angel in glory in God's presence, rebelled against him. And if, and if a created angel could look, be in God's presence and rebel against him, then human beings can certainly say, I reject wanting to be in his presence. Okay. All right. That's helpful, sir. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks for the great call. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye now. Talk to you. Bye. We're going to Kevin in Washington State, I'm guessing, on line two. Kevin, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, hey, I'm, uh, I'm asking for some advice. Yeah, what's happening? So I, I had a question. Um, I was wondering, like, how could I, you know, take, because I'm kind of in a relationship right now, but like, I want to take things slow and healthy. So, like, how, what's the best way I could do that, like, in a godly way, if that makes sense? Well, you know, um, how old are you? 18. Oh, that's, that's really great, man. Good for you. Why do you want to, uh, tell me just, I don't know you, so why do you want to take it in a godly way, as you put it, uh, Kevin? Because, because um, I, I was in a relationship with this girl, and we moved, like, really fast, and it was more of, like, you know, of a lust kind of relationship. Yeah. And so, like, we kind of broke up, and we took, we're kind of on and off, but now we're trying things again, and we want it to be, you know, take things slow and get to know each other, but we also want to put, like, God first. Yeah. That's really admirable, my brother. And the reason it's admirable is because the brightest flame burns quickest. And those relationships that, where you are just fully hot and heavy, I mean, they burn up quick. And, uh, and, and you're putting the, the uh, cart before the horse in that way. So I really, I really think that's great. That's really great, Kevin. And does she care? Yeah, she does. You know, like we, we've talked about it, you know, like, you know, I, I told her that you're not going to always be feeling it, you know, but right. she said that she wasn't feeling love. 
But I, like I was talking about, like, you know, love is ultimately a choice and, like, a commitment. Yeah. Well, that's so, good. Like, I, I guess I'm trying to teach or, like, spread, like, a love to her, like, true love. Is she a, but, is she a believer? She's actually a Mormon. Oh. <laughs> and you're a Christian? Yeah, non-denominational. I was born again in September 14th of 2018. Awesome, brother. Well, you're in a tough position, you know. Uh, so, have, I mean, have you got just been, not to be too public here, but have you been just frisky or did you guys sleep together? No, we, we've never slept together. Well, we good. Accept, we, we've, we've, we've made boundaries. Okay, good. So, look at, you know, I think the thing that's going to help you a lot, uh, Kevin, is to realize that you're in some ways, and I don't want to put this heavy on your head, but in some ways you're representing Christ because you're a Christian helping an LDS girl understand the truth. I guarantee you if her family's active, she wants you converted. And so you want the same thing. So set the example for her and uh, show her real love that you want to display. Be Jesus to her. And uh, if it's right, you, she'll be yours. You'll be, she'll be your wife. And if it's not, you'll, you'll part ways honorably. But try to be that Christian man to her that you know you, that you know you want to be. Does that help? Yeah. Yeah. You know, does she watch uh, any of our shows? No, and I've tried to. Um, I watched some of your earlier shows. You know, back in 2013, 2012, yeah. like that kind of area. And I was telling her, like, you know, where do you come up with this stuff? You know, Jesus is, you know. Lucifer's brother and like you can become like God and I came off as like like an aggressive way yeah and I think if she thought that like I was bashing her but like you know I generally care about her yeah salvation yeah ultimately and so she thought I was bashing her and like I said I don't want her to go to hell and she thought I was condemning her oh yeah you know brother uh best to stay away from all that stuff with a girl you love uh I mean, some will respond to it, but a lot of them do not, and they take it the way your girlfriend did. But I would give her a challenge, you know what? And I would just say, you know, let's. Get, I'll take a challenge from you. What challenge do you have for me? Do you want me to read the Book of Mormon? You know, and just read the Book of Mormon. It's you're going to see what it is if you if you know the Lord. It won't it won't convert you. And then ask her to take a challenge and say, all right, you go to God and you say, show me. Open my eyes to your truth. You know, give her a challenge in response. Yeah, you know, what's funny about that is that I, I asked her to, you know, look at um, Romans and John, and I've even taken uh, lessons with missionaries recently. Uh-huh. I've been reading the Book of Mormon myself, but, you know, I've been also looking into your show, and it's just, you know, it just disproves everything that they've said. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Well, brother, stay in touch, and if I can help you, if, I can, if we can send you any books, uh, just email us, and we'll send them out to you for free uh, relative to Mormonism and Christianity or anything else. Okay. All right, keep trusting the Lord. Be easy on yourself. Be, be Jesus to your girlfriend. It's going to work out. All right, thank you. All right, see you later, Kevin. All right, bye-bye. Bye. And finally, one last call, Patrick. Someone's calling. Hold on. We'll see. We know one young man named Patrick. It could be him. Hello, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How you feeling, Patricio? My neck hurts, Seth. First of all, I'm going to ask a question. Yes. Okay? So I don't waste your time. Just for the record, Kathy Maggs told me to get a flu shot, and I never did, so I apologize to her <laughs> for not listening to her. Anyway, my question Wait, is... Wait, st stop for one second, Patrick. This is a new segment of our show. It's called Apologies for Bad Choices of Healthcare. This is a new segment we're introducing tonight. Go ahead, Patrick. 
He's really sick. He's got influenza. My question is, and I wanted to ask this online, uh, I mean on air, is the difference plus the similarities between us not being able to trust our wicked heart as well as God puts our laws on our hearts, so how can we trust our hearts? Does that make sense? Uh, I uh, Say it one more time, a little bit louder, Patrick. I can't hear. Okay. I'm trying to. My throat hurts. My, uh, my question is, what are the similarities and the differences between our wicked hearts? Like, I can't trust my heart. It's wicked and deceitful, mind-blowing emotion, between um, our God writing the laws in our hearts and our minds, but I can't trust my heart. So what does that mean? So can you explain, like, um, subjective truths? Like, you could just name a few compared to objective truths, like Jesus being the only way or the cross or whatever. How can you, like, uh, you know what I'm asking? I know what you're asking on the first part, and I know what you're asking on the second, but the two I don't, can't put together. So let me just try to answer the first part. We, the Scripture okay. says our heart is wicked, and no man can trust it. And that's true, and I think that's speaking to the fleshly heart of human beings. But remember, God told Ezekiel, I'll give you a new heart. Take out the stony heart of your flesh. And he, then he says he'll write his laws on our heart. That's a spiritual heart. So you're not relying on your carnal heart uh, in that sense. That's wicked beyond belief, Patrick. You're relying on God giving you a new heart and writing his laws upon it. That's the spirit. And so you're talking about just the difference between spirit and flesh. I think, in that comparison. Okay. I see. And then, okay. 